0: We're continuing our Bible study on Colossians called Established in Grace, and today we're on teaching number 15, which is called The Mystery of the Church. It comes out of Colossians, we've been studying pretty in-depthly Colossians 1, 23 through 27. So let's read that, and then we're going to really focus in on the mystery of the church. Paul says this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I Paul have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We're going to study this idea of the church or the concept of the church or what is the church. We're going to study the mystery. What is the mystery? I think the majority of believers have never been taught the mystery of the church as it relates to the earthly ministry of Jesus compared to the ascended ministry of Jesus. And this idea of the church, this idea of the mystery, and and in the verses that we just read, Paul wrote, I have become its servant, that's the servant of the church, by the commission God gave me So God gave Paul a commission. God God gave Paul an assignment, this commission that God gave me. And here's the assignment that that God gave Paul to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Now, a lot of times when people read this phrase, the word of God, they, they immediately think the Bible. But what we need to understand is the Bible wasn't in existence during this time. That's not what the Word of God here is referring to. Paul tells us exactly what the Word of God in its fullness is in the next statement. He says, I've become the servant of the church by the commission God gave me to present to you, that's the Gentiles, the Word of God in its fullness. And now he's about to tell us what is the Word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations. So the word of God in its fullness, the word of God in its completeness in the context is the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations. So there was something Paul was going to disclose that God had revealed to him in Christ that had previously been kept hidden for ages and generations. So the mystery is something that was concealed for ages and generations but is now disclosed or is now revealed to the Lord's people, to the church. To them, the saints, the church, God has chosen to make known, that's revealed what was previously concealed, to reveal among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. So the word of God in its fullness, it was kept hidden for generations, was disclosed, was given to Paul to give to the Gentiles, to explain to the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what we're going to look at next week, this this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. But today we're going to look at the mystery of the church. The church was previously concealed, but it has now been revealed. So what is the commission God gave Paul to present to you the word of God in its fullness? What is the word of God in its fullness? The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but has now been disclosed to the Lord's people, to the saints, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, Now, biblically, a mystery is something that was concealed in the past or unknown in the past, but has been revealed in the present or made known or disclosed in the present. So what has God revealed that was previously concealed? It was a mystery, all right? The mystery of Christ in you, that was concealed before it was revealed. That was not known before it was known that literally Christ was going to indwell the Gentiles and the mystery of the church. So one of the keys to understanding the Bible is understanding earthly prophecies given to the prophets about Israel, the Gentile nations, and the coming of the Christ to establish God's kingdom on earth and bring peace to the world. These prophecies foretold Christ's birth. They foretold his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Remember when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus and he opened up the scriptures so these two men could understand the scriptures? and all of these scriptures pointed to Jesus, that's prophecy. He's opening up the prophetic scriptures that we find in Jewish scripture that all point to him. And part of that is bringing peace to earth. God's plan to bring peace to earth through the coming Messiah, through the coming Christ. Now, these prophecies were not concealed. We can go into Isaiah. We can go into Jeremiah. We can go into Zechariah. Uh, we can go. We can go into the Book of Psalms. We can go into Jewish Scripture, and we can find the prophecies about the coming of the Christ. All right. But what we can't do is we can't go into Scriptures, not even Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and find this idea of the mystery of the Church, because it was concealed for a later time. It's not in in written Scripture. Prior to the Pauline epistles, that's when we begin to see this mystery. So, one of the keys to understanding the Bible is understanding the prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. Another key to understanding the Bible is understanding the mystery of the church, which was concealed in God and by God until the revelation of the mystery initially given to Paul by the ascended Jesus and eventually given to the apostles by the Spirit of Christ in them. Now, Paul is the only writer in the Bible that explains the mystery of the church that was once concealed in the heart and mind of God. And if Paul had not written about the mystery of the church, we would have no understanding of it in the Bible. Paul's epistles are the only place that we go to understand what is the church. Now, some people will say, well, Jesus talked about, you know, when he was with Peter and he asked Peter, who do the people say that I am? And the people being the, the Jewish people, who do the Jewish people say that I am? And John the Baptist and Elijah, then Jesus said to Peter, well, who do you say that I am? Peter said, well, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the one of the of these prophetic scriptures, of these prophetic Jewish scriptures who was to come. You are him. And then Jesus said, On this rock, I will build my church. Now, what we have to understand is this word church in the Greek language simply means a gathering or a following. All right, it's used in scripture when mobs gather. It was used about Paul when a mob gathered against Paul. So, whenever it's just, it just means a gathering, is all that means. It means a gathering. Ones who come out of the crowd and who gather together. So when Jesus said, upon this rock, this rock being Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Christ of the Jewish scriptures, that's the rock, that Jesus is the one foretold by the Jewish scriptures who was going to come, he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, on this rock, I will build my gathering, I will build my following. And so people would begin to follow Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah. And it's easy to confuse when Jesus uses the word church there, ecclesia in the Greek, that he's talking about the same church that Paul's talking about in Ephesus and in Colossians. And he's not. The church that Paul is talking about, we're going to see it here momentarily, is different than what Jesus was saying during his earthly ministry. The ascended ministry of Jesus to Paul had to do with a different type of gathering, a different type of group that was unknown in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus never taught on it. He never explained it until he ascended into heaven. He sent his spirit, and then he explained it to Paul, and, and then Paul explained it to others. So what is the mystery revealed by the ascended Jesus to Paul. Well, the mystery is that Jews and Gentiles are in one family of grace called the church. Now, think about this for a moment, you guys. The law came into existence 1,500 years prior to the crucifixion of Christ. So, the nation of Israel had been in in existence since Genesis chapter 12, God gave the law to Moses, Exodus 19, and then the nation of Israel was under the law for 1,500 years, and they were still under the law when Jesus died, so Paul had a great responsibility to communicate to both Jew and Gentile that the law had been abolished, The law had come to an end. Judaism had come to an end and God was doing something new and God was doing something different that was not revealed in Jewish scripture. You can't find it in Jewish scripture. And Paul is communicating that the new that God's going to be doing was revealed to him and now he's revealing it to others. That's a really, really difficult place to be. Remember, in Acts 21, Paul goes into Jerusalem and they're wanting to kill Paul. Ultimately, it led him all the way to, to Rome where he was tried, but it started in Acts 21. You can follow it all the way through Acts 28. The Jewish people hated Paul. People in Jerusalem, they used to love Paul prior to him coming to faith in Christ, but the Jewish people hated Paul with a passion. Why? Because of his emphasis on grace, because of his emphasis on the church, because of his emphasis that the law had been abolished, it had come to an end, and God was doing something new and something different on earth called the church, which is Jew and Gentile together in one body. Remember, previously, Gentiles would have convert to Judaism before they could be in relationship with God. Now Judaism has come to an end and it's just faith in Jesus. And whether you're Jew or Gentile, when a person comes to faith in Jesus, they become a part of God's family of grace on earth called the church. That was not communicated anywhere in scripture prior to the ascended Jesus revealing it to Paul, making the concealed, revealed, and then communicated through Paul to the world. That's why he says in the end of Ephesians, he says, pray for me that I may communicate the gospel as clearly as I should, that I won't be afraid to communicate this gospel. Paul's not talking about there so much as evangelism, telling people that about Jesus. This gospel of grace that Paul's referring to is that Judaism has come to an end. The law has come to an end. The Pharisees of his day, the religious leaders of his day, they hated Paul for communicating that message, and they tried to kill Paul constantly for communicating this message. All right, let's look what Paul writes about this mystery. Jew and Gentiles are in one family of grace called the church. So in Ephesians 3, 6, Paul writes, this mystery is that through the gospel, that's the good news about God's grace, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. That's a huge statement back during the days of Paul. What Paul is saying here is that Jews and Gentiles are equal. Whereas remember before, under the law, the Jews were not to go into the Gentile nations. They were not to marry the Gentile people. They were to keep the Sabbath, to build distinction between them and the Gentile nations. They were to be a light to the Gentiles. So the reason they weren't to connect with the Gentiles is so they could stay separated from the Gentiles so that they could shine the light of the true God into the Gentile nations. So there was a separation between Jews and Gentiles until the church came into existence, Then they were once separated. Now they're being united in the person of Christ apart from Judaism. They're sharers together with with Israel in the promise of Christ Jesus, in the promise of Christ's coming and the covenants that he was, or the new covenant that he was going to establish. They're equal, they're, they're sharing together. Remember, Peter had a difficult time with this. I mean, when we get into Acts 10, Jesus has ascended into heaven. Peter still, in Acts 10, will not associate with the Gentiles until he's given the vision and being on the rooftop, and he falls into a trance, and, and God in the trance says, eat anything, because remember, under the, law, under the law, you could only eat certain things. Other things were prevented. But grace has come, and he's telling Peter, you can eat anything, and the, gent- the Gentiles are no longer considered unclean like they were during the t- days of the law. And you can go into a Gentile's house. You can eat what the Gentiles eat. You can go to the Gentile's home. And so he sends men from Joppa, from Cornelius' house, to where Peter was staying. And he goes back, and Peter eats with the Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit then comes upon the Gentiles, which was a sign to the Jews that, that God was doing something different that God was accepting the Gentiles, apart from Judaism. All right, so this is a huge, for us, it's not that big a deal because Jews and Gentiles are together in one body called the church. It's such a part of our culture now. It's just, it's not a big thing. But back during this time when Ephesians was written, this was a huge message that put Paul in a place of, of death. He he could easily be uh, be tracked down and be executed just like Jesus was for communicating this message of the mystery. So let's take a deeper look at this mystery in Ephesians 2:11 through 18. So in Ephesians 2:11 through 12, Paul explains the condition of the Gentiles before Jesus shed his blood on the cross. Now, the reason, why is he writing this letter to the church in Ephesus? Because the believers in Ephesus are made up of Jews and Gentiles. And God's got a new program. God's got a new group called the church that is different than the law of Moses. That's different than Judaism. And this church in Ephesus is evidently struggling with this concept of Jew and Gentile being in one body, of Jew and Gentile being equal. Both are saved by grace through faith, apart from the law, apart from works. And they enter into this new family called grace. They're really struggling with this concept. Just like whenever a new, I don't want to say a new concept, but for example, whenever I teach people that the New Testament doesn't start at Matthew chapter one, doesn't start, the the New Testament is not about a book. The New Testament actually starts when jesus died on the cross luke 22 matthew chapter 26 the the new testament's about blood a lot of people have a lot of trouble with that statement because traditionally they've been taught something different and in their minds i'm teaching them something new and because it's different than something they heard a lot of people will automatically reject it because that's not what i've been taught but what we have to do is, as students of Scripture is what the Bereans did. When Paul brought them this message, they didn't accept it because Paul said it. They didn't reject it because Paul said it. They went to Scripture to see if what Paul was saying was accurate. So you can imagine this group of people who are hearing these strange words from Paul about Jew and Gentile in one body, the gospel of grace, The law has been abolished. The law has been put aside. We don't relate to God through the law of Moses anymore. It doesn't matter if you do or don't keep the Sabbath. That's irrelevant. You can eat whatever you want. You can be in the Gentiles' homes. That was the big problem in Galatia. Remember, Paul had to confront Peter because Peter went back to the law. He stepped away from grace. Whereas one time he was spending time with the Gentiles and eating in their homes which would have been Acts after Acts chapter 10. So sometimes after Acts chapter 10, when Peter got the revelation that Jew and Gentiles were together in one body, he then went back to the law of Moses after Acts chapter 10. So this was a huge, huge issue and a huge problem that Paul's addressing during the first century. So he addresses this here and he talks about the condition of the Gentiles in Ephesians 2, 11 through 12 before, Jesus shed his blood on the cross. Paul writes this starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Now that was derogatory remarks. All right. So God told Abraham that all the males were to be circumcised as a, as a sign that they were God's people, would separate them from the nations. The other nations were Gentiles who were uncircumcised. So remember when David came to fight Goliath, he said, Who is this uncircumcised Gentile? That was a slander. That was a put down. We're the circumcised. We're God's people. They're not. This was still going on in the first century. Now it's not going on with us today, but it was then because what people were doing then were saying, Hey, we're circumcised. We're God's people. Those called uncircumcised people aren't, if they want to be God's people, they got to convert to Judaism, be circumcised, then place their faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And Paul was seeking to explain in Acts 15 to the Jewish leaders that that's not the case. A new way of relating to God has come that has zero to do with the law of Moses and has everything to do with the cross of Jesus. So he says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Remember that at one time you, the Gentiles, were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants. The covenants being the Davidic covenant that a Messiah was coming, a Christ was coming. The new covenant made in Jeremiah that God would remember our sins no more all right, those covenants were specifically for the nation of Israel. But what Paul is revealing is that the Gentiles share in the covenants of the Jewish scriptures. They're just not for the Jewish people. They're also for the Gentile people. But God had just chosen a nation and really created a nation for these covenants to come through that would be for that nation and for all nations. So at one time he's saying, that the Gentiles were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, promises in the Jewish scripture, Davidic covenant, new covenant. They were without hope and without God in the world. So if you were to go into the, the Gentile nations, they had no understanding of who God is. They had no understanding of these promises and these covenants that had been made, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the new covenant. The Gentiles had no idea about these covenants. They had no hope. They, had, they, they didn't know who God was. They're, they're worshiping false gods. That was before the cross. Now look in Ephesians 2.13. Paul explains the condition of the Gentiles after Jesus shed his blood on the cross. He says this, Verse 12, remember that at one time you, the Gentiles, were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus. All right, there's a change. Something has changed, but now in Christ Jesus, you, the Gentiles, who were once far away from God, from unknowing who God was. You were far away from God. You've now, in Christ Jesus, been brought near by the blood of Christ. So that tells us something. The cross changed some things. The blood of Christ poured out for the sins of humanity changed how God relates to the Gentiles and how the Jews related to the Gentiles. So God in the cross and the blood of Jesus put an end to Judaism and the Gentiles worshiping their foreign gods, their false gods, their demonic gods would now come together in one family of grace called the church when they placed their faith in Jesus Christ and God was doing something new and God was doing something different. And this is called the mystery. Nobody saw this coming. This had not been revealed. It had been concealed. All right. What I want us to see here is also is that we don't bring ourselves near to God. God brings us near to himself in Christ, in the blood of Christ, because it's the blood of Christ that forgives all our sins. It's the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sins. And because we've been cleared of all sins, that's we've been forgiven. We've been cleansed of all sin. We've been made holy. We now are near to God through Christ. Christ. So we don't, there's nothing we do to make ourselves closer to God. Jesus has done it all. That's good news that we want to share with, with everybody. All right. So we're looking at this idea of the mystery. There's the Gentiles before the shed blood of Jesus on the cross who were far away from God. They're the Gentiles now who were brought clear to God through the blood of Christ after Jesus died on the cross. And in Ephesians 2.14, Paul then explains that Jews and Gentiles have become one group, one new family of grace. So he says, for he himself, Jesus, is our, that's Jew and Gentile in one body, our peace, who has made the two groups, Jew and Gentile, one. One. One group, one family of grace. That's a huge statement during this time, because in Ephesus, they were, possibly they were still trying to separate themselves, Jew from Gentile. It was certainly going on in Antioch, and Paul wrote, writes about that in the book of Galatians. And it was in process of going on when he wrote the book of Galatians to confront what was happening But Jesus brings peace between the Jew and the Gentile. He brings them together in one family of grace through faith in Christ. It's no longer about the Sabbath. Whenever that group wants to come together, they can come together whatever night of the week, whatever morning of the week. That's not the issue. The Sabbath has been abolished. It's been put away. The entire law of Moses has come to an end. And, and now it all centers around the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus on the cross, which is what the law, who the law ultimately pointed to. We don't want to continue to stay in the law when the law pointed us to Christ. We want to then say, all right, the law is gone, and now I'm going to relate to God through the cross of, of the Messiah. So here's the question. How did the two, how did Jew and Gentile become one, one group? They were separate. How did they become one? Remember, we're taking a deeper look into the mystery of the Jews and Gentiles becoming one family of grace. So how did Jews and Gentiles become one family of grace after being divided for 1,500 years by the law of Moses? Paul explains this starting in Ephesians 2, 14 and 15. Paul writes, he says that Jesus destroyed the law of Moses. So Paul in Ephesians 2, 14 and 15 says, Jesus destroyed the law of Moses. In verse 15, he writes, and he, Jesus, has destroyed, that's a very strong word, destroyed, abolished, put to an end, the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, and now verse 15, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. If, if you want to write Exodus 19, through the end of Deuteronomy, it's been abolished. Why has the law been abolished? Why has the law been destroyed? Well, the law pointed to the coming of Jesus. And Jesus fulfilled the law by living a life of perfect love. And he fulfilled the law on the behalf of humanity because we're all sinful. And, and sin at its core root is the inability to love because the two great commandments of the law is love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and love others as you love yourselves. That's the problem with humanity. We can't love. We, we, we don't love our neighbors. We, we don't love God. And apart from the Holy spirit in us, he produces love. So Jesus fulfilled the law by living a life of love. And now the law has come to an end and the church does not relate to God through the law of Moses. We relate to God through the cross of Christ, and the church is made up of Jew and Gentile. So Paul, in this statement that he's writing in Ephesians, he's making some huge statements here to the original first century church that's reading this. To the Jew that's reading this, they're probably getting a little angry at Paul. To the Gentile, they're probably pretty excited about this because they don't have to convert to Judaism now. Just like today, when you communicate the gospel of grace to people, it angers some people, but it it makes other people glad. It makes some people mad. It makes some people glad. The same with Paul during his day. Jesus destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Why was the law a barrier? Why was it a dividing wall of hostility between the Jew and Gentile? Well, remember, under the law, the people of Israel had to stay separated from the nations of the world. They, they had to eat certain foods. They, they couldn't intermarry. They couldn't have relationships. They couldn't go into the home of a Gentile. I mean, there was a lot of divisions within the law dividing Jew and Gentile for the purpose, though, to keep the nation of Israel from being corrupted by the false gods of the the nations that were out there. And Israel had to stay pure for the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Christ, who was going to be the Savior of the world. And once Jesus came, the law was abolished. It did its work. It it did its job. And God has a a new family now called the church. So Ephesians 2.14 2.14 says, Jesus has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. Here's what that means. The law was nailed to the cross with Jesus because nobody could obey the law. Remember, the nation of Israel were living under the curses of the law when Christ came. How do we know that the nation of Israel was living under the curses of the law when Jesus came? Because the Romans had conquered Israel, and that was part of the curse that if you if you cease following the law, God told the people of Israel, then I'm going to allow foreign nations to come in and occupy Israel. And that started with Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar and, and ultimately Rome. The nation of Israel never obeyed the law. They were under the curses of the law. Christ took the curse of the law, which is ultimately his death upon himself. The law has come to an end. And now God has a new family on earth called the church. Now God's going to complete his prophetic ministry with Israel. That's what the book of Revelation is about. But right now we're in this period of time called the mystery, something not known, something not seen. Remember, God gave Israel 490 years when he revealed it to Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. There was 490 years left for Israel. At 483 years, the Christ would come in, the Messiah would come in, and then there's another seven years for Israel. Well, we're living in this mystery age between the 483 years and the final seven years of Israel, which nobody saw coming, this age of the church. And one day, God, he's going to complete this seven-year prophetic plan for Israel. So that's still to come. So Paul in Ephesians 2.14 says, Jesus destroyed the law of Moses. And Paul in Ephesians 2.15 says, God created one new group out of the Jews and Gentiles called the church. So why did God destroy the law? Verse 15 answers this question. God's purpose was to create in himself, in Christ, one new humanity, one new group, one new family out of the two. So he was going to take the Jew and Gentile, individuals come to faith in Jesus, and then they become a part of the family of God called the family of grace. Paul illustrates this in Ephesians 5 when he starts talking about marriage. He says, just like a man, a man will leave his mother and father, and a woman will leave her mother and father, and they will come together to form a new family. Paul says, that's what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about the church, he says, that's the illustration that the Jews leave their family, so to speak, the Gentile leaves that family, so to speak, and they come into a whole new family of God called the church, which is distinct and separate from the other two families. It's a new family. So God's purpose was to create in himself through what Christ did on the cross and destroying the the law. God couldn't create a new family as long as the old law was there. As long as the old law was there, the new family wasn't, couldn't, couldn't happen. So the cross of Jesus created this new family, and the law was nailed to the cross. All right, so Paul in Ephesians 2.16 says that Jesus reconciled in one body, Jew and Gentile, to God through the cross. So he destroyed the law of Moses. He created one new group out of the Jews and Gentiles called the church, and then he reconciled them together in one body through the cross of Jesus. Look at verse 16 of Ephesians 2. And in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. So for 1500 years, there was hostility between Jew and Gentiles. And what brought them together was the commonality of their faith in Christ. Something I, I will use to explain this is, let's say that A Palestinian and an Israeli who who for centuries have had animosity toward one another. Let's say the, the Palestinian comes to faith in Christ, the Israeli comes to faith in Christ. The Palestinian leaves Islam, the Israeli leaves Judaism, both come to faith in Christ. Now they're unified, they've left Islam, they've left Judaism, And now they've come to faith in the person of Christ and where there was at one point in time, hostility between them. There's now commonality between them in the work and the person and the cross and the blood of Christ. That's what Paul is referring to here in Ephesians chapter two. They were reconciled. They were brought together. Their hostility was put to death. All right. In verse 17, Paul seeks to convince the reader that God's plan has always been for the Jews and the Gentiles, all right? It was never just for the Jews. It was always for the Jew and the Gentiles. Verse 17, he says, And Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far away. That's the Gentiles. This is the earthly ministry of Jesus. And he preached peace to those who were near. That's the Jews. So when Jesus came, he preached the gospel of the kingdom. Notice when, when Jesus begins his ministry, he goes out and he preaches something called the gospel or the message of the kingdom. He sends the disciples out to preach the gospel or the message of the kingdom, which is different than the gospel of grace that we see Paul communicating. The gospel of, the gra- of grace that we see Paul communicating is Jew and Gentile in one body. This is the gospel of the kingdom. It's the earthly reign of Christ on earth as Messiah as Christ. So when Jesus came, he preached the gospel of the kingdom, which was a message of peace on earth for all people and for all nations, and that he would establish as as the Christ. Jesus came to establish peace on earth as the Messiah, as the Christ. Christ means Savior King. As King, Jesus would rule the world, establishing peace on earth. As Savior, he would die for the sins of the world, establishing peace with God. That's what the Christ, the Messiah, came to do. There's nowhere in these scriptures that Jew and Gentile would be one family, would be one body in the Jewish scriptures. As king, the Christ would bring peace on earth as foretold by the Jewish prophets, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. The angels announced the Christ had been born in Bethlehem as it had been foretold in Malachi chapter 5, and that there would be peace on earth through the coming of the Messiah, through the coming of the Christ. All that is Jewish scripture. It's it's the story of this coming Messiah who would bring peace to the world as king and as savior. Right, the peace would start in Israel and then flow to the world, we see from Jewish scripture. Though Jesus came specifically to present himself to Israel as the Christ, he also went to the Gentiles during his earthly ministry which fulfills Jewish scripture, scripture, specifically Isaiah 9, 1 through 2. Remember, what we're trying to do is figure out what, what verse 17 means of Ephesians chapter 2. Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far away, the Gentiles, and he preached peace to those who were near the Jews. The question is, when did Jesus preach peace to the Gentiles? When did Jesus, during his earthly ministry, take the gospel of the kingdom to the Gentiles? Well, Matthew writes about this time when Jesus went to the Gentiles in fulfillment of Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. So Matthew quotes Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 that the Christ would go to the Gentiles and proclaim the message of the kingdom, the message of peace on earth. And Matthew writes about this and quotes Isaiah 9, 1 through 2 in Matthew chapter 4, 13 through 16. And here's what Matthew writes. Leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake of the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. So Jesus literally goes in to Zebulun and Naphtali. He goes in there, which is exactly, exactly what Isaiah prophesied about in Isaiah 9, 1 through 2. So Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy made that he would go to the Gentiles and proclaim the kingdom of God or peace on earth. And Matthew quotes Isaiah 9, 1 through 2, starting in verse 15 of Matthew 4. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. That's where Jesus went. He went to the Gentiles, proclaimed the kingdom, proclaimed peace on earth. That's those who were far away in Ephesians 2.17. The people, that's the Gentiles, living in darkness, have seen a great light. What is the great light that those living in Zebulun and Naphtali saw when Jesus came? Leave in Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and and Naphtali. So when Jesus went into Capernaum, went into Zebulun and Naphtali, the Gentiles saw the great light that the Jewish scriptures talked about. The people, the Gentiles living in the darkness. Remember, remember what we read about in Ephesians? They were without hope. They were without meaning. They were without purpose. They didn't understand why they were on this earth. And here Jesus is going into the Gentile cities to proclaim, specifically these cities, to proclaim that he's the Messiah, he's the Christ, and to explain to them peace on earth through him. The people living in darkness, the Gentiles, have seen a great light, Jesus. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, that's the Gentiles. A light has dawned, that's Jesus. So Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom to the Jews and to the Gentiles, which was the message about peace on earth, that the Christ would bring as foretold by the Jewish prophets. And this is what is meant in Ephesians two seventeen, when Paul writes, Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. The far away is the Gentiles and the near are the Jews. So in Ephesians two seventeen, it is a verse meant to convince the readers of that day of first century, first century church in Ephesus. It was a verse meant to convince the readers, both the Jews and Gentiles, that God's heart for peace was not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. That God did not value one group, the Jews, over the other group, the Gentiles, which evidently what was, must have been going on in Ephesus certainly was going on in Antioch when Paul had to confront Peter and was beginning to go on in the churches of Galatia. So this was a huge issue. So in Ephesians, we discover that God had a plan, which was a mystery, To create one new family of grace, this mystery plan, which was a part of the gospel of grace, would be to abolish the law, that's abolish Judaism, and create one new family of grace made up of people from all nations who relate to God equally and relationally through the cross and spirit of Jesus and not through the law of Moses. No wonder during this time Paul taught he was a marked man. Religious people were after him. They wanted him dead, just like in the days of Jesus. They wanted Jesus dead. Well, with that equal venom, they wanted Paul dead as well. And we see that beginning in Acts 21 for sure. So they were going to relate to God, not through the law of Moses, but now through the cross of Jesus and through the spirit of Christ in them. The cross of Jesus made it possible for the spirit of Jesus to live in us because the cross of Jesus cleansed the heart, cleared the record, forgave all sin, so that Christ in his resurrected ascended form the spirit of Jesus could now live in us. Ephesians 2:18 reads this, for through Jesus what he did for us on the cross through Jesus we both that's Jew and Gentile have access to the Father by one spirit. So now they relate to God not through the law of Moses but through the person of Jesus. And when we study Scripture, we always, always, always have to keep in mind when we read the Bible, am I reading at about a time that's under law or am I reading about a time that's under grace? Am I reading about a time where Judaism is in place or am I reading about a time where the mystery is in place? And it really has a lot to do with how we interpret Scripture. For example, in the Sermon on the Mount, And it says, hey, if you have something against your brother, leave the altar and go make it right with your brother before coming to the altar. Now, when when the modern day believer reads that, they think the altar at the church. That's not what it's referring to. There were no church buildings during this time. It was the altar where they would bring their animal to be sacrificed for their sins. We don't live under that law. We live in grace now. That's not a teaching for the church. And so what pastors will try to do is they will try to extract a principle from that and apply it to the church when the church was not even in existence in there. That's what so many pastors do. They seek to create principles out of law-based passages. And when we do that, we water down the Scripture and we misinterpret the Scripture. Rather than helping a believer, when we get to that point in the Sermon on the Mount— Under the law, if you brought an animal to be sacrificed at the altar, you couldn't sacrifice the animal until you first made it right with your brother. What we need to do as pastors at that point is say, listen, this is under the law. They were bringing an animal sacrifice to be sacrificed for their sins. The good news is this. We don't live under the law. We live under grace, and Jesus has become our sacrifice for our sins. So we don't go get right with people in order to be right with God. That's under law under grace because we're right with god we go get right with people so it, that that verse doesn't apply to the church that's why it's so important to understand scripture as relates to prophecy and israel and judaism and the mystery and the cross and jesus if we're to accurately interpret scripture and accurately apply or not apply certain scriptures so we're looking at the mystery in ephesians two eleven through 18 in this mystery through the blood and the cross of jesus The law of Moses has been abolished, bringing an end to Judaism, that's the law, and bringing the church into existence, that is grace. The church is the gathering of both Jew and Gentile into one family of grace, where people of all nations relate to God and each other through the blood and the cross of Jesus and through the spirit of Jesus in us. That's what we're going to look at next week, Christ in us. As the church, the spiritual family of grace, We relate to God equally and relationally as our father, no matter what nation we come from, no matter what race a person is. We're all in relationship with God through faith in Christ, having nothing to do with nationality or a person's race or where they're from. It's all about Christ. Now, the church was a mystery. No one knew that God would create one new family of grace on earth called the church, consisting of Jews and Gentiles, who equally and relationally relate to God as one family of grace, apart from the law of Moses, apart from Judaism, but would relate to God completely on the cross, the blood, and the spirit of Jesus. So how did people come to know about this mystery? Number one, the mystery of the church was initially given to Paul by revelation, from jesus look at ephesians chapter 3 verse 1 for this reason i paul the prisoner of christ jesus for the sake of you gentiles surely you've heard about the administration of god's grace moses was given the administration of law to communicate to people about the law paul was given the administration of grace to communicate to people about grace So God takes the one who's the most passionate about the law of Moses, teaches him the grace, the gospel of grace, and commissions him to go present the word of God in its fullness. This is what Paul means when he says in Colossians, the word of God in its fullness. He's communicating here the word of God in its completeness, in its fullness, talking about the mystery of the church. So Paul says, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me, Paul, by God through Christ. For you, the Gentiles, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, that's revealed. This mystery was revealed to Paul, as I have written briefly about, that's in the early chapters of Ephesians. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This mystery is that through the gospel of grace, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel members together of one body, sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I have become a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. So the gospel he's referring to here is Jew and Gentile in one body. It's what God's done for us in Christ. It's who we are in Christ. That's all the spiritual blessings that God's given us in Christ, Ephesians chapter one. He's sharing this good news with the Gentiles. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I'm the less than the least of all the Lord's people or the the least of all the saints, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. If you want to mark there Ephesians 1, 1 through 3, everything that God did for us in Christ. He was to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone, to make plain to everyone, to communicate in its fullness the administration of this mystery, which for ages was kept hidden in God. That's concealed. It's not in Matthew. It's not in Mark. It's not in Luke. It's not in John. It's not in the early chapters of Acts. What was concealed was revealed to Paul by God who created all things. All right, that's what Paul's explaining to these people. It's like, what gives Paul the credibility to communicate this idea that, that the law has come to an end? What gives Paul the credibility to communicate that Judaism has come to an end? And Paul's explaining, here's why. Because this, what I'm sharing with you, Paul is saying, God revealed to me. And they would say, well, you can't find it in Isaiah. You can't find it in Zechariah. You can't find it in, in any of these scriptures. And Paul says, you're right, because it was concealed. But it's now been, it was a mystery. It's now been revealed by the ascended Jesus to me, and now I'm sharing it with you. People thought Paul was out of his mind. Now, the mystery was eventually revealed to the apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. Paul writes in Ephesians 3, 4 through 6, In reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known, that's, it was concealed, it was not made known to people in other generations, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that's Isaiah's generation, other generations, the, the generation of Zechariah and Malachi, and, and nobody knew the, the church, nobody understood exactly what the Christ would do. And, and he would bring this church into existence. So in reading this, then you will be able to understand my, Paul's, insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known. It was concealed to people in other generations, but it has now been revealed. So what was concealed, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, early chapters of Acts, What was one time concealed to people in other generations was initially revealed to Paul and then what Paul writes here is, and as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So the Spirit came and gave the revelation. Remember, Peter didn't even have the revelation yet in Acts chapter 10. Peter still won't go into the Gentiles' home. Paul's having to confront Peter in the early chapters of Galatians because in Antioch, he wouldn't go into the home of a Gentile or eat with the Gentiles. He's going back to the law. So this was a huge issue. So the Spirit is seeking to give revelation to Peter and to the other apostles of of this idea of the church, of the law ceasing to exist, of Jew and Gentile being in one body. If it wasn't for the Pauline epistles, we wouldn't know anything about this. And why do we discover it in the Pauline epistles? Because that's who it was disclosed to initially by God was to Paul. This mystery is that through the gospel that was initially revealed to Paul, that was eventually revealed to the others by the spirit. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So that's the mystery. So, what does God want to make known through the church? Look at what Paul writes in Ephesians three, ten, and 11. God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this mystery is the eternal purpose of God. It was the eternal plan of God. It's always existed, but it was not always revealed. And now through the church, our responsibility is to help people understand this mystery, is to take this good news to the Gentiles, to help share with them who Christ is and what Christ has done and the riches of the grace of God freely given us in Christ, and that we're a part of this family of grace on earth. And as we share that message, it makes known to these rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, which is possibly those of Ephesians 6 as well, these spiritual demonic forces who see the gospel of grace. And they're seeing the gospel of grace communicated through churches, which then sets people free from their satanic powers and their, their lies. All right, let's return real quick to Colossians 1, through 29. and We're going to wrap this up. Paul's talking about the church. He says in verse 25, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. So what is the word of God in its fullness? The mystery that has been kept hidden, that was concealed for ages and generations, we just looked at that in Ephesians, but is now disclosed, revealed to the saints. That's what we read about in Ephesians. Verse 27, to the saints, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles. God wants to make known among the Gentiles. That's the ministry of the church today. That's our ministry. We want to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of the mystery, which is Christ in you. We're going to look at that next week, the hope of glory. Because what happens is we want to take people back into the earthly ministry of Jesus and try to get them to become followers of Jesus. That's not the mystery message. That's not the message for today. The message for today is not be a fully devoted follower of Jesus or be a Christ follower. Somebody communicating that message doesn't understand the mystery of the church and the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. God's hope for all of humanity is not for us to become Christ followers. God's hope for all humanity is for us to become filled with Christ. Huge distinction between the two. Christ went to the cross so he could fill us, not so that we could follow him, because people were seeking to follow him before the cross. After the cross, we're filled with Christ. Huge difference and probably one of the most neglected teachings and understood truths of Scripture in Christendom today. So Paul says this, his responsibility was to go to the Gentiles and to communicate the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is the one, Paul said, we proclaim. We don't proclaim the law of Moses. We proclaim Christ and Christ in you and what Christ did at the cross. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom about him so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. We can't present people fully mature in Christ if we're trying to get them to be Christ followers. That's an impossibility. That's a big clue that the person who's saying that doesn't understand scripture. They're they're, they're using the phrase Christ follower. They're missing it. They don't understand the ascended ministry of Jesus and his message. I can't present people fully mature in Christ as long as I'm trying to get them to follow Christ. Paul said, to this end, I I strenuously contend with all the energy of Christ which so powerfully works in me. So Paul's goal was to teach the church, specifically the Gentiles, more fully about the gospel of grace so they could experience the transforming truths of grace. His goal was to fully proclaim who Christ was and what Christ did for them, and who Christ was in them so they can mature and grow in their faith. We're going to look at that next week. I want to thank you for listening to this teaching today. If you would like any of my other teachings, check out my books on Amazon, as well as my website and my YouTube channel. The links are in the details of this podcast. Again, thanks for listening to this teaching. I hope you're growing and understanding the Bible more and more every time you listen to one of these teachings. Have a great day.